you, music team. Good morning, church. All right. I want to remind you of the words in your bulletin on the cover here. They serve as an anchor for us during this series that we're in in John's Gospel. It's John's purpose statement. It's his reason for writing. It's, it's good to remind ourselves of these words. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That by believing, you may have life in his name. Notice these two key words, believe and life. Believe in life. Last week we examined the, uh, the life of this Samaritan woman after she had encountered Jesus. We looked for signs of life, signs of new spiritual life in this woman. And I encouraged you as we examined the life of this woman to look for these signs of life in your own life. Are they evident in you? Today we're going to be emphasizing this other key word, believe. If eternal life comes by belief, we should want to know what constitutes true belief. Because believe it or not, when John uses this word believe in his gospel, it doesn't always necessarily mean that it's a, it's a type of belief that is pleasing to the Lord. Right? So we want to look at this more closely. What is the nature of true belief that brings eternal life? This is our question today. So go ahead, grab your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 46 to 54. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use that pew Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that home. That's our gift to you. We want you to have that. And out of reverence for God's word, once you're there, if you would stand with me and follow along as I read out loud. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Believed when? After. After having seen this miracle. Now hold on to that thought, because we're going to look at another passage here that we've covered. Now flip over to John 2, verse 23. This is right after Jesus' episode in the temple. It says this, Now now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. When do the people believe? After. After seeing the signs Jesus was doing. Now, look at the next verse to see how Jesus views this kind of faith. Verses 24 and 25. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. This is not the kind of faith, this is not the kind of belief that that pleases the Lord. 
And notice in chapter 1, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And we see this theme kind of playing out subtly in the background uh, throughout the first four chapters of John to this point. And notice, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And the only people that have put faith in Jesus or have believed in Jesus without first having seen signs and wonders are the Samaritans. We looked at them just a few weeks ago. The Samaritans put their faith in Jesus without having first seen signs and wonders from Jesus. Now look at the verses Right before today's passage, John four forty five. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. They welcomed him, but again, it was after they saw the signs that he did at the feast of Jerusalem. Now in our passage today, in verse 48, Jesus offers here his most stinging criticism of this type of faith. Verse 48, so Jesus says, or said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's important to note here that Jesus is not just talking to this official here. The yous in this verse are all plural. So Jesus is talking to the people all the people in the area there within earshot. He's, he's uh, referring to the type of faith that was rampant among these people in this area. And the best way to describe this faith is to say that it was, it was a thrill-seeking faith. It was a thrill-seeking faith. These people were sign-seekers, worshipers of wonder, chasing after the next spectacle. How do we see this today? I've, I've seen this up close for almost 20 years in youth ministry. We see it today you know, in big events and concerts. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with these kinds of activities, with bigger events or, or concerts. I enjoy a concert just like the next person. I just want to point out that for many teens... Genuine faith in Jesus can get confused very easily with feelings associated with an experience. And that includes loud music and light shows and fog machines. And it's so hard not to get caught up in the, the emotion that that kind of thing generates, that atmosphere, that experience. <clears throat> in many churches today have started purposefully calling their Sunday worship gatherings their Sunday morning experience. Time, energy, planning, go into ensuring that those who attend are given an experience. The problem with this kind of faith is that it's, it's built on an experience, and because of that, it's, it lacks an anchor. Because when your faith is built on an experience, it will always be captive to the ups and the downs of 
your emotions. And you'll be driven by experiences. When you're up, you're way up. But when you're down, you're way down. And this can cause a real crisis of faith that has led many to walk away from church altogether. Counterfeit belief lacks resilience because it's not really grounded in Jesus. It's grounded in experiences. This is one reason I think John connects these two events in Cana. Because in one event, we see that Jesus is needed during a time of great joy. Like at the wedding. People are there celebrating. It's a happy time. It's a time to be celebrated. But in the other, Jesus is still present. But this time, in a time of despair and in pain and in sorrow, like we see here at the end of John chapter 4. This official comes to Jesus in desperation, pleading for the healing of his son. But he's among a people who only have a faith of infatuation with miracles and not an infatuation with Jesus himself. So Jesus' words here are meant to challenge those around him and at the same time to test this man. Have you come to me because of what I can give you? Or have you come to me because you love me? This is another type of counterfeit belief. A belief that only comes to Jesus seeking the things that Jesus can give them. Things like healing or prosperity or a job or or whatever else your heart desires. We're not coming to Jesus with that kind of faith because we want Jesus. We're coming because we want something other than Jesus. And don't get me wrong, Jesus can give you those things. But what is it that you're coming for? Are you really coming for Jesus or are you really coming for the things that he can give you? Today there's many peddlers of a perverse and twisted gospel that invites people to come to Jesus so they can get the stuff that he can give them. Not to really have Jesus himself. It's, it's yours for the taking. All you have to do is have enough faith to claim it and it's yours. Hear me carefully. Hear me carefully, church. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. If you come to Jesus for the things he can give you, you're not coming because you love Jesus. You're coming because you want to use Jesus. If you come to Jesus to get something from him other than himself... That is a form of counterfeit faith, and it does not lead to life. One way you can test this is to ask yourself, what are you most looking forward to in heaven? What is it that you're most looking forward to? Is it to see the streets of gold, the pearly gates? Is that just what you can't wait to see? Is it to have perfect health for your body to be restored? We're going to experience all of those things. Amen? Those are good things. Or do you most look forward to seeing loved ones who've passed on before you? Again, not a bad thing. 
And that will be part of our experience in heaven. We'll see the streets of gold, the pearly gates. Our bodies will be restored. We'll be reunited with loved ones. Those are all wonderful things. But I want to tell you something. You can have all of those things, but if you don't have Jesus, it's not heaven. You can have all of those things, but if Jesus is not there, it's not heaven. Being with Jesus, seeing Jesus, having Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. Not gold, not health, or even loved ones. Although those things will be there. Genuine faith does not ride the emotional waves of an experience. And genuine faith does not use Jesus as a means to get something that you want from him other than him. So that's counterfeit faith. Let's look at our next point, genuine faith. What is genuine faith? The man in this story, this royal official, he may have come to Jesus initially with a counterfeit faith, wanting something from Jesus. He wants his son to be healed. But notice something. This man is a royal official. He's probably part of King Herod's court. And this means that he probably has great resources and wealth and lots of means. He has servants, and he's likely very wealthy. And before coming to Jesus, he's probably already sought out the best doctors of the land and purchased the most expensive medicines that money can buy, and they've all failed him. They've all failed him. No doubt, being part of King Herod's court, he heard the news of this strange, miracle-working carpenter rabbi, and he's just desperate enough to realize that he's out of options, and he's got nothing left to lose. Time is running out for this man's son, and Jesus appears to be his only remaining hope. He's tried everything else. This is one quality of genuine faith. Desperation. Desperation. Realizing that Jesus is your only hope. And coming to him with complete dependence. Complete dependence. This is how we all must come to Jesus. No matter how wealthy we are or prominent you are, you must come with empty hands. Knowing that nothing that you bring to Jesus going to count for anything. It's him who's going to do it all for you. Trusting entirely in Jesus. Another mark of genuine faith is that this man, it's subtle here, but this man comes to Jesus in the first place. He seeks out Jesus from Capernaum, which is a 15-mile journey to Cana. He doesn't just come on a whim. He's coming in a deliberate fashion, in a determined way. You don't just get up and decide, I'm going to go to Cana today and see what happens and see who I run into there. No, he hears word that Jesus is there and he gets up and he goes. Now, where can you go today to meet with Jesus? You go to his word. You go to his word. Only in his word do we put ourselves in a position to be reminded of the power and of the compassion of Jesus. Another mark of genuine faith is closely tied to this. This man comes to Jesus with a desperate prayer. 
Here's a desperate prayer. This is a prayer that's heard and it's answered by Jesus. James writes in chapter 4, verse 2, You do not have because you do not ask. This doesn't mean that you'll get everything that you ask for in prayer, but that you can't expect God to intervene in your life if you never ask him. You've got to ask for things. If you want to see him move and work in your life, you've got to ask him. We can't expect to see him do things when we don't ask him to. That's why part of our strategy for reaching our community begins with prayer. Because the conversion of a soul, new life coming to a person, is a miracle that we can't manufacture on our own. We can't create uh, an experience uh, powerful enough. We can't be like Disney. Disney does not have the power with all the money they have and all the resources they have to to, to generate new life in a heart through an experience. We're completely dependent on the Holy Spirit for that work. And so as we, we uh, seek to reach our community, we need to keep them in prayer. We need to pray for our neighbors, pray for our coworkers, our family and friends. And the answer will not always be yes. We won't always see God's healing touch on this side of eternity. But we can know And we can find comfort in the fact that God is redeeming all of our pain, all of our sickness, all of our suffering, and even death itself. As Paul says in Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We're not guaranteed to see the good that God is working in our pain. But one day we will, with glorious, heavenly perspective, be able to see all that God worked in our pain and our suffering and how he redeemed it for our good and for his glory. Now in response to Jesus' test, the man displays one more mark of genuine faith, humility. This powerful, royal official could have pridefully argued back with Jesus when Jesus gave him that that critique. You guys won't won't believe unless you see the signs and wonders. This man could have just said something to Jesus like, you know who I am? You know who I work for? Listen, carpenter. I need something from you. But he doesn't. Instead, in humility, knowing that Jesus owes this man nothing, he simply restates his plea, Sir, come down before my child dies. And to this, Jesus tells him, Go. Your son will live. This man's response is beautiful. It says, He believed that the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. Notice that here we we see belief that comes before, not after, first seeing a miracle. He simply believes Jesus at his word and he goes. 
This is so important. Because most of us will never see a miracle. They're rare. That's why they call them miracles, by the way. If they happened all the time, they'd be normal. People wouldn't call them miracles. But you do have Jesus' word and the scriptures that you must believe if you're to have eternal life. And that's a miracle. Anytime a person puts their trust in Jesus, someone who was once dead is now alive. And that's a miracle. We should celebrate that. Faith comes by hearing the word, Paul says in Romans 10. Not by seeing miracles. It comes by the word, the power of the word. But genuine faith is, is not blind faith. It's not wishful thinking, wishing upon a star kind of faith. It's, it's a reasoned faith. It's a trusting faith. A faith that trusts because it has good reasons to believe that it's true. Genuine faith does not require us to check our brains at the door. God says to the prophet Isaiah, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. And so if Jesus has come from heaven, and if he is the Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, if we know these things, then it's reasonable to trust him, to take him at his word. So to recap, genuine faith is a reasonable faith that comes to Jesus in desperation and with humility. It's a reasonable faith that comes to Jesus in desperation and in humility. This is our last point. Believing is seeing. Our world tells us that seeing is believing. You ever heard, have anyone tell you that? I'll believe it when I see it. The Jets are in the playoffs. I'll believe it when I see it. Sorry. But Jesus turns his thinking on his head. This official possessed a true belief. Our our text says that he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Again, how beautiful is that? And in his belief, he sees the power and the grace of God. First notice the graciousness of Jesus. Jesus is surrounded by counterfeit, sign-seeking faith in Galilee. He's approached by a man he's never met, who is probably an official to a wicked king, wicked King Herod. And yet, Jesus, not looking at this man's merits or lack thereof, gives a free gift of healing. Something that's undeserved, unmerited. He gives this free gift anyway. This is gracious. God is so gracious. There's not a person here, including myself, just because I'm a pastor, I'm not on a special plane, more uh, privileged than any of you. There's not a person here who deserves the new life that Jesus gives. And so we're to be thankful and grateful for the graciousness of Jesus. Lastly, notice the power of Jesus on display here. All it took was a word. Think back to Genesis 1 where God is creating the the heavens and the earth with the power of his word, speaking things into 
their very existence. And here we see that all it took was a word from Jesus for this boy's body that was on the brink of death to begin to recover. Just a word. Also, Jesus' power was not hindered by distance. He's not some kind of witch doctor that needs to concoct some sort of, you know, uh, salve or something and rub it on and say some magic words or anything like that. He doesn't even need to be there. Capernaum was 15 miles away and it could have been 15 million miles away and it wouldn't have mattered. There's no spatial limitation to Jesus' power. And we're going to see that here. And lastly, Jesus' power was immediate. John even draws special attention to this detail in verse 53. A dying boy healed instantly. Over a long distance, by a simple word from Jesus. This is the grace and this is the power of God that is seen through the eyes of belief. Believing is seeing. So far in John's gospel, we've seen Jesus at work in three major areas of, of his world. Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. Jesus has been with the rich. He's been with the poor. He's been with the sorrowful. He's been with the rejoicing. The educated and the uneducated. He's been with royal officials, with morally questionable people, and people of high moral religious standing. He's been with Jews, and he's been with Samaritans. In just four chapters, John has managed to show us that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. If he's for everyone, that means he's for you too. Whoever you are. Wherever you live, whatever language you speak, whatever the baggage is that you're carrying around, no matter how educated or uneducated you are, he's for you. He's for you, and we must receive him. Jesus lived the only blameless life. He died a death on the cross in your place. And he rose again to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To take away the sin of the world. And just like the official came to Jesus and believed his word and his boy was revived, Jesus has a word for all of us that must be believed if you were to have new life, to have eternal life, to know that you'll be with Jesus in heaven one day. This is a word to all people that must be believed. Jesus invites you to come and to believe and to receive the life he purchased for you with his own blood, and he died and rose again. Will you believe today? If that's you, come to Jesus today and live. Believe and find life. I'll be available after the service. You can find me out by the doors. Uh, Utilize that Connect card. We'll get in touch with you. Talk to a friend who brought you. If you want to know more about receiving Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus, answering that call, come to me. The Gospel of Matthew says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls.
That's the offer. And it's free and it's powerful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that your power knows no limits. No distance is too great. No obstacle too tall. Your very word brings life. Immediately, instantly. Father, I pray for those here who have not yet experienced the new birth that Jesus offers. Holy Spirit, move in their hearts. Open their eyes to see their need. May they come to you with desperation, knowing that you are their only hope, trusting your life, your death, and your resurrection to forgive their sin, to make them part of your family. Father, help help all those here who've never seen that before. Open their eyes even now in this moment to see their need for Jesus. May they believe and have life. Praise things in Jesus' name.